Hello and welcome to Out With, the podcast that takes you beyond the headlines and beyond our borders. I'm Hallam Ohideen and I'm joining you from my kitchen right here in the West End of Glasgow. Now, we appear to be living in the age of Me Too. Or is it the era of Me Too? Or is it a movement or a set of rules and regulations. Well, the US president, when making a campaign stop in Pennsylvania back in October, appeared to mock the so-called rules of Me Too, saying he wasn't allowed to say a, fer- a certain phrase because the rules of Me Too wouldn't allow it. So what started off, well, for me at least, as a shared status on a Facebook newsfeed has turned into something uh, which is a defining moment, a turning point, an age an era, and now something with rules. So what are the rules? And what is the age of Me Too? Well, to find out, I'm joined in the kitchen by Eve Livingston, a Glasgow-based journalist and columnist who writes on society and women's issues, amongst other things. Eve, welcome to the kitchen. Hello, thanks for having me. Um, So Eve, let's just start off with this. What is Me Too? Well, I think you used the word moment in that introduction, and I think that's how I would see it. I think I would see it as a a kind of societal moment. I think it's probably too early to say at the moment, whether it's a movement or an age or any of that kind of thing, although they've all been used as descriptors of it. Um, But yeah, I I would say it's it's been this sort of snapshot in time um, when, you know, who can say why why it was the right time? Because it was experiences that women have been sharing for such a long time and getting no no traction. But it just so happened, I guess, that all these factors came together at this particular moment um, and sparked this sort of outpouring um, of women sharing their experiences. So I think it's I think it's a moment, and I think it's about individual women's experiences more than it's about um, kind of anything wider than that in terms of rules or. Um, you know, even policy changes and things. Okay, so so imagine I've just landed here from the moon and I have no idea what you're talking about. So what is Me Too? It's, uh, you know, t- t- tell us how it started mm. and what essentially it is for a complete stranger. Yeah, well, I mean, it started, the, the kind of term Me Too in a campaigning context was actually coined in 2006, so what, 11, 12 years ago. Um and it was that was it was a black woman, Tarana Burke, who started that, and it didn't really gain any traction because, as I said before, kind of, I guess the circumstances weren't right. Society wasn't ready for that conversation, maybe. Um, but it came to prominence um, a year ago from an actress, Elisa Milano, following the Harvey Weinstein um, kind of allegation, the original uh, first one. And she tweeted just something really basic, like, um, "If you've ever been harassed or assaulted." replied to this tweet with the term me too and for whatever reason that sort of captured people's attention and imaginations and it turned into hashtag me too and it got you know a huge amount of I don't have the stats in front of me but I think it was one of the most used hashtags yeah. if not the most used hashtag of, of last year on Twitter. Because that's how I know it that and by the time that I'd shared my own mm. me too experience and it wasn't being you know sexually assaulted by a movie producer but when the the hashtag came up on on, on my Facebook feeds it was it was something simple that if you've uh, as a woman if you've experienced harassment you know just by simply being a woman share your experience hashtag me too and mm. you know I was a journalist working in France any woman who works in France and takes the the metro yeah. um you can guarantee has had unwanted attention or some bloke following the 
and going, hey, mademoiselle, do you want to come home with me? Or mm. random people calling you a salop on the streets or whatever. So, so I shared it. And by the time that I shared my experience, it already had one of those little emoticons next to it yes. with lots of hands yeah. in the air. So it, it, it took off quite a lot. I remember being quite surprised when I saw the you know, the, 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 the amount of my friends who, were, who mm. were sharing these experiences. Do you think it was perhaps that that caught the imagination, the fact that so many people felt emboldened to share their own experience at the same time? Yeah, I mean, I would agree with you in saying that some of the people that I saw talking about that weren't my friends who were kind of already engaged in feminist conversations and that kind of thing. So in that sense, it did sort of capture this new audience. And I think you're right. I think there's something about the language of Me Too that's this sort of collaborative solidarity thing you know you're not just putting yourself out there alone you're sort of adding your voice to something and I think maybe that felt safer for people um and a sort of supportive network was built um because every me too sort of you know sharing story that I saw had all these comments and replies from people saying I'm so sorry this happened to you I had no idea um you know it wasn't like people were just shouting into the void because there was this space that had been created to have that conversation um so I think I think it, it felt you know just a safer environment than women have had before to have those types of discussions okay so so this was my interpretation of it when I heard about you know when I first saw the hashtag being shared it was people sharing their experiences of being harassed um you know it could be sort of very serious assaults or it could be, you know, the sort of thing that in France you just accept and you put up with on a daily basis, uh, just people following you or grinding up against you in the subway. Mm. Um, it has, since then, it appears to have mutated because I see the age of Me Too, the era of Me Too, the Me Too movement. What has it become? Is there any way to sort of quantify this? I think what it's become is, you know, within kind of individual industries or cultures or workplaces um you've seen it sort of get its nails in if you like and, and dig in so for instance following the you know you know me too grew out of the Harvey Weinstein scandal but following that there were things in the British Parliament yes. um there were things in Indians India's Bollywood scene you know so these kind of particular um cultures and things it sort of got its teeth in there well let, let, let's talk about the the, the specific let, let's call them achievements inverted mm. commas uh, just remind us what this Harvey Weinstein scandal is and how it's connected to the Me Too movement. Yeah, so Harvey Weinstein, sort of, you know, very famous Hollywood producer, essentially he had, you know, for, for many years, um, been allegedly having these relationships with women where he was inviting aspiring actresses into his hotel room and touching them inappropriately. I think the allegations range from, you know, kind of harassment and, and comments right through to a rape allegation, I think, or possibly multiple, actually. Um, and there was just this culture of silence. You know, a lot of people kind of knew about that um, had heard stories from other people and nobody said or did anything. And he was still operating at the top of his game in Hollywood until you know, some brave people came forward and it took that kind of one or two voices to spark off everyone else feeling like they then could. And it was just became a barrage of allegations against him, really. And he's had to um, sort of go into hiding. I mean, he did this brief thing where he came out and said he was going to go to rehab or something, <laughs> um, which you see quite a lot with kind of sexual harassers, I think. So, you know, they're going to go and reform their character because it's their... Um, you know, I don't know, kind of comparing it to like a mental illness or something, which I think is, is problematic. 
Um, but he's, yeah, he's, you know, kind of disappeared and he's uh, potentially facing criminal proceedings in America, although they've got obviously this complicated legal system with a statute of limitations and all of that. And some of these are very historical. It's very much ongoing, the, the, yeah. the, the legal cases against Harvey Weinstein. You mentioned also the the, the Bollywood industry in, in India. What's been the mm. effect of the... Because India is a, is a country with, with, let's say, challenges when it comes to, to, yes. to women and women's rights and the way yeah. women are viewed in society. What's been the effect of this Me Too uh, movement uh, in India? Yeah, I, I think this is kind of where the conversation gets quite difficult to start tracing, really, because what, what's essentially happened in India is that they had sort of historical conversations about harassment within Bollywood, where one particular actress has had alleged, you know, being forced into scenes that she didn't want to do, where she was touched inappropriately and that kind of thing. And I think she first spoke about that, I want to say, you know, seven, eight years ago, many years ago before Me Too. And it didn't really get any attention or traction. And she sort of spoke out again during the Me Too movement and was able to get that um, that sort of traction. But India, you know, if to take that example, has been having its own reckoning with gender and violence against women for a long time. You know, there was the case in 2014 of that awful rape on, on a bus um, where there were all these victims and the women was just really brutally attacked, you know, and, and that made global headlines too. And since then, I think there has been a sort of feminist uprising and a, a movement and a, a reckoning with that kind of culture there. So whether Me Too was a separate thing or whether it kind of combined with that force of feeling, you know, I think all these individual cases of what we in the West or the, the UK exclusively might ascribe to being an effect of Me Too, I think if you were sort of embedded in those countries and those cultures, you might see a number of different forces coming together at once. So it's... It's not just the entertainment industry that's having this the, 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 this reckoning, if mm. you like. You know, we talk about the Bollywood industry, of course, the Harvey Weinstein. Um, it, it all comes down to issues of uh, issues of power, doesn't it? The power is often in the hands of the movie producers and the uh, and the bosses, and, and and not in the hands of the, the the people who are on the lower rungs. It's not just Hollywood and Bollywood and the entertainment industry. This goes far more widespread, does it not? You mentioned the British Houses of Parliament. What mm. happened there? Um, I mean, there, there were people coming forward who'd worked as sort of parliamentary aides and um, interns and that kind of thing, coming forward with allegations. Um, there was, I think there was a, a resignation. Um, I don't have it in front of was me. Was it Michael Fallon? That, yes, that Michael was Fallon. was defence secretary yes, at the time. Absolutely, yeah. He, so he resigned as a result of one of those allegations. Um, and there were plenty of other anonymous accounts coming forward saying that they'd experienced similar things. Um, there's now a sort of ongoing discussion about bullying in the Houses of Parliament, which has pulled in some of that stuff around sexual harassment and, and assault. Um, there was a, a Labour activist who came forward to say that she'd been raped at a party conference. Um, and she said she wasn't taken seriously. Yes, yeah, I think she, you know, she joined a lot of women in saying that when that happened to her, there just wasn't any path for her to follow to get any kind of justice or not even justice, but just to still feel safe in that environment. Um, so, yeah, so she was saying that in the context of the Labour Party, but I think it echoed what a lot of people were saying about the context in which they were speaking up to. Now, it's interesting we started talking about Michael Fallon um, and because he was, the, he was the most high-profile scalp, if you like, of mm. this, um, the, 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 this movement and the, the mea culpas of people saying, I've done this wrong. And, and um, this case was quite interesting because 
for me, it represented almost a, a sort of a tearing apart of this of this 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 movement because there were people, including the the women who he'd allegedly touched inappropriately or spoken to inappropriately, uh, the broadcaster Julie Hartley Brewer, mm. who'd said this is going too far. Um, she had said that this was years ago. Um, yes, he sort of talked to me inappropriately, and she turned around and said, "Say that to me again, and I'll bop you on the nose or something." And and she said, "As far as I'm concerned, it's finished. I'm not a victim, and I don't think this guy should be losing his job over uh, over something that happened years ago that I'm not that offended by." And her comments struck a nerve with quite a lot of people who were saying, has this movement gone too far? Is there an argument that perhaps it has gone too far and people are being unfairly castigated for, for what were seemingly innocent remarks or uh, innocent behaviour, certainly behaviour that was almost acceptable 20 or 30 years ago? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the kind of accusation of, of it going too far and tarring good men and all of that stuff, I think that's born out of the very same circumstances in which all this is happening. So the idea that our culture takes it as the worst possible insult and affront to your character to be accused of sexual harassment and assault, but doesn't necessarily take it as seriously when a woman's coming forward saying it's happened to her, you know, that's that's a really big issue in itself. So and that that's the kind of um culture that I think leads to people saying it's gone too far because they're really worried about men being accused of the worst possible crime that you could ever be accused of. Um, but but the women don't get afforded that same level of seriousness when when they're talking out about their experiences. Um, so I think that's difficult. And I think the other thing is that if you take Me Too to be a discussion about a culture in general that in which violence and, and harassment sort of operate both to keep women in their place, if you like, um, and, and are supported by women being kept in their place. You know, it's this whole kind of um, amalgamation of different forces that that keep the sort of power levels in society where it's at and violence and harassment is is just one of them if, if you take me too to be to be a discussion about that then everything from a sort of comment that made you feel inferior and not able to kind of speak up in a meeting right through to sexual violence they're all part of that conversation um, they're not necessarily the same things they don't necessarily have the same long-term traumatic effects on you but they're all part of a conversation that's about women's experiences of the world and how we navigate um you know situations right from kind of relationships through to workplaces and all of that stuff you know it's all about how power is distributed in society um everything adds up to a sort of cumulative effect but it's not just women who've been speaking up as a result of me too there were it's not just women who get harassed it's not just women who get sexually assaulted and i mean are we hearing enough from you know the men in the story, not just the men who have been um, the abusers, uh, but the the men there there are men who have been abused too. Are they able to to, to speak up as part of this movement? Yeah, I think that's a a, a really difficult conversation. You know, I I would love me to to be a place where men can have their voices heard and taken seriously. So the actor Terry Crews spoke out in quite a high profile way about his experience of sexual assault. And I think he was largely very supported and, and um, had a lot of women who'd been involved in the Me Too movement sort of backing him up on that. Um, I think the issue is that men absolutely do face harassment and, and assault and 
as individual men when that happens to them it's just as serious as it is for individual women when that happens to us but as a sort of structural issue it absolutely does affect women more you know statistically um above 90 percent of all perpetrators of sexual violence and assault are are men um and above 70 percent of all the recipients of that are women so there is a sort of um structural issue which i think me too kind of has, has maybe started to have that conversation i don't think we're there yet i think people, a lot of people did interpret it as being about individual experiences but i think if you if you look at society as a whole across you know all different cultures and and countries it is women who are disproportionately affected by this issue and it's part of a wider societal kind of organization of, of power so i think men men have to have spaces to have those conversations and to speak out um but it's sort of a, a different space you know it's a, a sort of a different issue and it's the same issue because it's, it's all sexual violence or assault but it's not necessarily part of this same sort of structural problem but, but is it not time to include men in this conversation I mean if if, if the majority of men or the, the the perpetrators of sexual assault and sexual violence do they not need to be part of this conversation as well certainly a lot of the men I speak to feel quite uncomfortable about this me too movement it's almost like you know we'll step back and let people have this space because people who have been attacked and assaulted it's good for them to speak out but at the same time they are now starting to feel attacked too by just by virtue of being of the same gender and there's a defensiveness that starts to creep in um with with not all the men I talk to but many of them and it's I, I notice certainly a shift in in tone you can feel the temperature drop a couple of degrees mm. when you, you you start to discuss this and um men feel they can't they can't chip in because they haven't had that experience and then they start feeling attacked and start feeling a bit more defensive and I notice a lot in in, in media coverage um, you start to see a bit of that backlash kind of moving in and is there not a danger that that we're not bringing men into this conversation early enough and we're attacking rather than being more collaborative. You know, I have sympathy with individual men who are sort of now thinking, what's my position here? How can I help? What's the right thing to do? But I also think this is just what a, quite a radical redistribution of power looks like. You know, people who have been used to sort of unearned huge amounts of privilege for centuries um when that's sort of challenged and um you know hopefully redistributed slightly that it does often feel like discrimination um i mean it's not though because discrimination and inequalities and all of those things are about as i was saying previously kind of this distribution of power and how things are organized and that that has always um affected women more negatively than it's affected men so i can see on an individual level that men are having to have this reckoning with themselves about how they interact with women or how, how they support the movement and that kind of thing. But, you know, I, I, <laughs> on a structural level, I have limited sympathy for that because I think that's just what it feels like. You know, I'm sure that's what it felt like when civil rights gains were made and, and white people felt incredibly threatened to have that power taken away, but it doesn't mean it, it shouldn't have happened, you know. Um, so, yes, I think, I also, I just think on a, on the level of how do you behave around women, I, 
you know, it's not that hard. <laughs> that um, yeah, I we've, can got, see... we've got men in the room with us, I should say, in case anyone's not watching this. this. <laughs> well, they don't have a microphone on this, so I'll tell them now, but they're, they're all sort of up against the back of the wall like this, like, oh my God. But I think good you men would agree. You chaps, you're alive. I think good men would agree that it's not... I'm not saying there are not certain situations where you might sort of think twice or check yourself, but in general, I don't think men are tiptoeing around their girlfriends or their moms being like, am I allowed to speak to her? Like, you know, we've, we've learned how to have individual healthy relationships. Um, we have, but you'd argue there's still some work to be done, though. Yes, definitely. Um, and even in relationships, you know, between men and women where there aren't any sort of abuse allegations or that kind of thing, I'm sure there are still sort of um, instances of where that gender inequality shows, you know, in terms of distribution of like household tasks and things like that. So there's a huge conversation to be had about men and women, how men and women kind of um, engage with each other. There's a massive inequality of distribution of household tasks in this house, but unfortunately <laughs> it's the other way around. I'm the I'm the messy boots and it's my poor husband that's the current well, that's, like a tax. that's like a patriarchy tax. <laughs> oh, God, I'm not sure you'd be happy with that. Um, it's not just, there's not just tensions within this from, from from you know the other side from men there are tensions within this meeting I can see why we call it a movement now because this is quite a complex sort of many arms and many legs you know amorphous sort of you know entity um but there are tensions within this me too movement there are there have been critics of it mm. and from women themselves and I keep referencing France because of course it's the blooming French behind this but there was that um uh, there was that famous letter uh, that was written by uh, Catherine Deneuve and 99 other prominent French women who were criticizing this me too movement saying it had gone too far um and you know that that it felt quite strange did it not to have prominent women and you know French women are you know they'll speak up for themselves they will stand up and they were almost defending uh, their right to be hit on by men you mm. know chatted up in the street so it was I mean that was quite interesting though how, how did you what did you think when you heard about that letter I mean I think things like that are, are difficult it's like you hear some women sometimes say I don't have a problem with catcalling. It makes me feel sexy and wanted and all of that kind of thing. And that's a, a good thing. Um, that, well, that's their their kind of interpretation of it. And I don't. you don't want to be the person that's saying, well, you just don't, don't understand your own experiences. Because of course they do. People have different interpretations of the environment that, that they're in. But I think there's a, something with Me Too where it grew to these enormous proportions really really quickly and suddenly as a society we were having all these different conversations about power and about violence and um about whether uh, you know a kind of wolf whistle on the street is as bad as a sexual assault by Harvey Weinstein in a hotel room and um, I think the speed at which the movement grew made it so made it very difficult for people to get to grips with all the sort of nuances and the the different um, elements of that conversation um, so you know I, I disagree with those French women I respect their right to interpret those situations as they see them but I, I feel like the kind of women who perhaps don't have the same level of sort of privilege that those women do um, or perhaps just don't feel as tough as individuals just don't feel like they can you know turn around and bonk them on the nose like Julia Hartley Brewer said um, we owe it to those those women, I think, to to see it as a sort of um, wider discussion about 
how how things should be and what needs to change and and all of that kind of thing. You raised a really good point here. Um, I I feel that this is isn't so much about you know gender, but more about power, mm. and it's more of a structural thing, and that and and that sort of needs to change. But it's it's also I'm trying to find the right words here. It's also about what you class as being a victim or not. And that's, I think, certainly from the, my interpretation of the, the, you know, the French letter, the, the letter from the French ladies, shall we call it. Um, they were very keen not to be portrayed as victims because they enjoyed someone catcalling them in the street or, you know, mm. um, they, you know, they said, you know, it's rape is a crime, but, you know, being chatted up even in a sort of very clumsy manner, that's not. And, you know, we don't feel like we're victims just because someone uh, wants to compliment us on our appearance and so on. And it's that sense of, you know, what is a victim? And a lot of people certainly don't like thinking that, you know, they are a victim. I mean, I don't like to, I mean, I shared my experience, which was not a very serious experience, it doesn't feel like, in comparison to what a lot of people have been through. Um, but I felt uncomfortable afterwards thinking, well, I, I don't think I am a victim. And, you know, I had, you know, four blokes, you know, sort of irritating me on one day, um, but I shrugged it off and I don't feel like a victim because of that. And I almost I, I almost changed my mind about putting the thing up there because mm. I, I didn't want to feel like I, I was any kind of victim. And that's where a lot of women tend to come in and criticise this movement because they, they don't want to feel like, you know, it's like poor me, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I need someone sticking up for me because I can't stick up for myself. And that feeds into other uh, campaigns that there have been, for example, with equal pay um and this is another thing that you know i support equal pay for equal work um i support helping other people but i don't like the idea that um you know such and such is only being employed uh, because we need another woman in this department or i'm being employed because i'm a woman or i'm being paid such and such because you know i want to think that you know i don't need that help up i'm not a victim i'm not someone who should be pitied and I should be, you know, treated the same as my male colleagues. So th th there is a there is a tension there as well, is there not? Yeah, I think it's to do with this thing of seeing things as we would like them to be and seeing things as they really are. So, you know, I obviously I agree with you about equal pay for equal work, but I guess I would come down differently on the sort of um, what you're getting at there in terms of quotas and, and things like that. Um, and I think that's because I, the way that I perceive the world is that I would love it if we were all just treated equally in the workplace and we were all interviewed and recruited on merit. But I don't think that's what happens. I don't think all of the men who dominate senior positions are better than all the women who went for those positions because statistically it just doesn't work. What you're saying then is you, not you, but general you. Um, what we're saying is is then that men are just better at pretty much all jobs than women because you know they dominate so many of them. Um, so I think we have to look at the world as it is and say, well, there is this huge unequal distribution of power um, and it manifests itself in lots of different ways. And, and one of those ways is being paid less or not getting a, a senior job and one of the ways is kind of violence and assault in all these different contexts and I don't think that women have to identify as victims you know I think there's certainly within the women's movement there's been a move towards calling women who've experienced rape and sexual assault survivors rather than victims which I would probably tend to use because I think it sounds much more powerful and, and stronger and I also think that there's just so much strength in 
kind of numbers and collectivism. So something like Me Too, where you've got all these women coming together and speaking with one voice, that's hugely powerful. I don't think there's anything victimising about doing that. I think it's, you know, that's why men are so defensive, because they've such a huge display of power there. Um, so I think, you know, I, I can understand why individual people would have that analysis, but I guess I don't, I don't see that there's a huge dilemma there. I think you can identify yourself as, as whatever you identify yourself as. And yet feminism seems to be a dirty word for many women. It's, it's one of the, I mean, for me, feminism means uh, being equal with a man. You know, equality, you know, I don't think a man should be treated better than women. I don't think a woman should be treated better than a man. Mm. You know, I, I don't like the idea of quotas for women. I'll be brutally frank with you I think it's I'm very much meritocracy all the way um, and I understand there are challenges involved in getting people in there but I would hate to think that I was being offered a job simply because I am a woman yeah. rather than because I am blooming well good at that job and um so so for me but that's where feminism lies but mm. for a lot of women feminism is it is a dirty word it's you know it's about pushing women forward ahead of men taking the feelings of women into account before you um, think about uh, the feelings of men it's all about me too all the way setting fire to bras if that's something people <laughs> still do uh, but but it's very much that kind of militant you know um talking in, in sentences of words i don't know like intersectional this that the next thing like it, it's all very and it feels quite exclusive and that's not something that you know that I, I can understand why people wouldn't want to be a part of that. Is there not sort of, is feminism a dirty word? Are people turning away from it? I mean, I think it's become less of a, a dirty word kind of within my adult lifetime. You know, I'm 26, so I think of when I was a teenager at school and I would absolutely never have, I, I don't know, I can't remember if I was interested in feminism at that time, but I would never have said it if I was. Um, whereas my sister is 11 years younger than me, so she's that age now. And she, um, she, she's she got friends who talk about feminism and have feminist discussions at, at school. And that's, you know, one of their kind of big hobbies. And I think that's amazing. And it's such a difference from, from when I was that age. Um, and it's also becoming, you know, increasingly sort of commercial and marketable. So you get sort of t-shirts and top shop that have like hashtag feminist and stuff em emblazoned on them and which you know, I would never wear well that's it I don't love that for a lot of different reasons I wouldn't walk around wearing it and I also th think that sort of social movements that are then co-opted to make money are kind of inherently problematic but that's a whole other discussion <laughs> that's another podcast um, but I, yeah I think I think things are, are getting better I think one of the reasons that feminism has been seen as a dirty word is exactly the reason it's needed <laughs> you know it's about women sort of um talking loudly and having a voice that's being heard and sharing experiences that are not comfortable for society at large and and so it's in it's in the sort of I don't like using the word patriarchy I sort of always just use it in an ironic way because it just, just makes sounds, me think of people so burning bras <laughs> yeah I mean it's a good word I think it, it it's a perfect word for describing what it is but it just sounds so kind of silly and grandiose but um I think yeah I think it's it's in the interest of the patriarchy to um to have people thinking feminism is a dirty word you know so that they don't get involved in it and they keep things the way that they are is anything changing is any of this working? Because, you know, we're we're coming to the tail end of 2018. Donald J. Trump is in the White House and he was elected thanks to, to many women in the US who voted for him. 
women who think Me Too has gone too far, who think feminism is a dirty word and all sorts of things. Um, we have Judge Kavanaugh, who has been um, nominated and who has been sworn in as a, a justice of the um, of the Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, that's a, um, an event which divided opinion worldwide, but one of the, the arguments made for the way Justice Kavanaugh was brought onto the Supreme Court was because um, he felt attacked and, and, and spoke up loudly in favour of his rights and, and people were condemning the fact that he was being slandered uh, by women accusing him of whatnot. So this is all coming in the midst of this Me Too movement, this Me Too era. Um, we've just come off the back of the midterms. Um, we're seeing more women in, in being elected to Congress, but still, you know, the GOP is still very much in charge of the Senate. Donald Trump doesn't look like he's going anywhere. How much of an impact has all of this, any of this had? I, I suppose this is where I get a bit pessimistic about it, really, which is that I think it's had a huge impact for, for women kind of um, within themselves in terms of feeling like they can share experiences and, and um, speak up for themselves. But in terms of the impact that it's had on society at large, that hasn't caught up, I don't think, with the speed at which women are, are kind of feeling emboldened. So I did a, a, it's been a bit delayed now, but I started working on an article about how Me Too had affected women's everyday lives because it felt like a lot of the year anniversary coverage was about particular industries or sort of... Um, cultural settings and that kind of thing and I wanted to just ask normal everyday women you know has it affected your life and I got loads of responses but they were almost exclusively women saying yeah it affected me because I recognized something to be abusive or assault or whatever and I spoke up about it or I recognized my workplace to not be a safe environment for women and I did this and that but it was all women sort of taking the onus on themselves to speak up and make a change and not really necessarily seeing any results from that um you know I think the, the Brett Kavanaugh thing's such a good example because it's one of the most horrifying things I've ever watched that poor woman having to give her testimony and it's awful to think that that happened a year after this movement that everyone was hailing as the sort of change that society needed to see. So I think it's had an impact on women themselves that shouldn't be underestimated. Um, you know, even in terms of there was a strike by McDonald workers in America over sexual harassment, for instance, and, um, you know, their union walked out over that. And I think they're the stories that we don't necessarily hear because they're not these powerful kind of glamorous women with big voices already but they're they're where the change probably will really happen you know if we can get the sort of me too conversation into things like trade unions and and that kind of thing which I think is starting to happen um so I I'm optimistic that it could it could have an impact I think all these women sort of finding their voices kind of has to have an impact but it's not in my eyes, sort of taken off yet. Yeah, I hope that's what's going to come down the line. Okay, so there's more to it than just popping a hashtag on your Facebook feed. It is the, very much the start of something, uh, not the be-all and the end-all. Absolutely. I think women have to, you know, once they've found that that voice and that solidarity and strength, they have to then get into, you know, um, trade unions and campaigns and that kind of thing and make sure that those voices stay being heard by the people who can actually make a, a difference. Um, so I hope it's I hope it's the beginning of something. Okay, Eve, we're going to wrap this up, uh, but before we do, is there anything else that you think that we should be um, th that we should be talking about around this sort of subject? Is there anything you think we should be aware of? 
I think I, I kind of got to it at the end there. I think it's um, the the kind of relationship of me to to all these grassroots campaigning and to women who don't have a lot of visibility and don't have a lot of power. So kind of, you know, women in low paid work and um, unpaid carers and all of these women who are kind of working at the margins of our society in jobs where they're very vulnerable and having a really difficult time, but they don't have the same visibility that Hollywood actresses and things do. So I think we really need to make sure that we're um, including them and hearing their voices and, and that, that we keep an eye on sort of women trade union activism and, and grassroots campaigns and things like that, um, as well as these big sensational headline grabbing stories. Yeah, very easy to talk about Harvey Weinstein and Ross McGowan. It's, um, but for, I mean, I, I know you've been skirting around it, but there is obviously an ongoing um, story here in Glasgow with the uh, women who are in low paid jobs who are currently um, at loggerheads trying to get an equal pay settlement out of Glasgow City Council. This is something that's been rumbling on for quite some time. I think it's, what's, it's a multi-billion pound payout that uh, they're, they're kind of looking for. And it's... Uh, yeah, that's another one that's ongoing. So um, hopefully we'll have you back to talk about that when we're any oh, further yes, forward. Please. But, but um, <laughs> yes, no, it's these kind of stories that we're wanting to talk about on the podcast. The, uh, the stories that aren't getting into the news bulletins on a daily basis. And yes, Me Too has been drifting in and out of the, of the headlines, but it's good to actually have a more in-depth conversation to, to, to break it down a little bit. I hope this has been uh, useful for, for um, everyone who's been listening. Thank you so much, Eve, for, for joining us today. Oh, thank you. If you want to hear more uh, from Eve or see more of her work, do check it out. Um, her website is evrebeccalivingston.com. That's Livingston without an E. We'll pop that in the, the bio when we, we send this out on social media. Uh, Eve's also on Twitter as Eve underscore Rebecca. And her work's regularly published across the, well, the British and, and internationally, I understand. Certainly in The Guardian is where you can uh, hear more from Eve. And uh, remember, if you're enjoying these conversations, do get in touch with us. We love hearing from you. Um, we are at Out With Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram as well. Hopefully you'll see our, um, our photos uh, on Instagram. Do get in touch. Leave us a review on um, the podcast app you get your podcast from. And if you can think of any subjects that you want us to discuss and go into more detail, do let us know. Subscribe, get in touch and uh, we will hopefully catch you on another episode coming to you very soon. Thanks very much, everyone.